0: You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the
1: force. Welcome to Episode 37 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as the Star Wars Report website. Our episodes are also available on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I am one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, Mark Herleman, and with me like the hair on a brush of a Wookiee you just can't shake off, the
0: EU guru himself, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hello everybody! Wow, I get to be a mister this time, as opposed to just being Nathan P. Butler. I get the, uh, the, whatever they call it, was that Sal? It's not a salutation. I, I get the little abbreviation in front of my name. Yeah, yeah.
1: The respect. It's all about respect.
0: I wouldn't go that far, but that's okay. Uh, how you doing, Mark? How's it been uh, since I know you were doing a lot of moving around recently, uh, right around the time we were recording the last episode, you were kind of still caught in the middle of all that furor. How's things kind of evened out now?
1: Oh, man, it has been a nightmare. I mean, yes, yes, Whistler. Hey, I broke Whistler. Yes, I actually broke Whistler. Uh, one of his little apps stopped working and that was a fun little fiasco. I've got boxes everywhere. I'm currently out in the garage. This will be the future home of my studio, but, uh, I'm kind of playing musical spots with it. It's so, so much boxes. We got like two houses worth of stuff in the garage that I got to go through still, plus my Star Wars collection because I'm going to be pulling it all out. So that's been a, a lot of fun and chaoticness going on. I just, as of the time of this recording, got the last of my books They are in the garage. The bookshelf itself is still up at the old house, but that's a matter of days now before it's back down here. And I actually discovered, as we're about to start talking about X-Wing novels of all novels, I am missing one of my X-Wing novels. It has gone M.I.A. I'm pretty sure it is my father before me, the dirty rat who has been uh, reading through my books. But, of course, he can't remember borrowing it or losing it which is where I'm sticking to. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. He lost my book because I don't lose books. That don't happen.
0: (laughs) It's funny you say you you damaged Whistler. Whistler got banged up along the way Uh, since the last episode, which I, I had edited the last two right Around the time I was getting ready to edit episodes 35 and 36 of the show that we had recorded back-to-back, my computer decided that it just really, about one or two times out of every three, it really didn't want to start. You know, it wanted to kind of get to that blinking cursor screen and then just kind of do nothing. And uh, it finally got to the point where I decided that computer that I've had since probably 2004... That we sort of stretched more life out of by wiping it and reinstalling everything at one point. It's finally kind of on its last legs. I mean, I can't use any of the DVD drives or anything that are in it. I have to use an external because the drives are dead. I mean, it's just been run to death. Finally said forget it, went out, bought a new system. So now using the Windows 7 laptop and HP Pavilion G7 now. So hopefully uh, the editing will still go just as smoothly. Maybe when we're pulling up show notes, it won't chug along quite as much. Hopefully the sound quality <laughs> might turn out a little bit better. It won't uh, do that weird. Zzz, like That makes it sound like Max Headroom or you know if anybody even remembers who Max Headroom is uh, when we talk and it's processing anything else. So, yeah, I mean, it's been kind of chaotic over here just a little bit as well, just from a technology standpoint. No moving, though. We got all our moving done a while back when, when Jody got over here. So now it's just wedding plans and you know, then we'll stress later.
1: I I I remember Max Headroom. <laughs> you know that's funny that you mentioned him. I don't know why, but it's just one of those things that you know we were watching uh, Back to the Future. I think it was like the third one or something like that, and they had the Michael Jackson and all Max Headroom style. Oh, so, yeah, thing in the Mad- order.
0: Part Two. The the was it Cafe American or whatever it is. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Speaking of good
1: stuff, why don't you uh, tell us what we're talking about this week?
0: Sure thing. Well, folks, as always here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions, questions that have bothered you for a long time, in this case, perhaps a very long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. And this episode, we begin to look back at the X-Wing novel series as we lead up to our discussion on X-Wing Mercy Kill, the most recent entry in the series after over a decade. This episode, we're going to focus on the X-Wing novels featuring mostly Rogue Squadron, all the books written by Michael Stackpole. Consider this your spoiler warning for books that are kind of old, because here we go.
1: Nice. You know, I, I have to admit, Stackpole is one of my favorite authors. Uh, he's got me hooked on Corinhorn. Horn. Um, you'll hear me call him Coran. You'll hear me call him Coran. I, I started calling him Coran. Okay. That's how I came to be. So I'm apologizing now. I will call him that over and over again. I will try to call it the right way, but I didn't listen to the audiobooks first. So for a long time, I thought it was Talon Cardi and Coran Horn. I mean, granted the other one was pretty obvious once my dad pointed that out to me, but, <laughs> but that's what I like about this book, especially though, is that Coran is in it and he gets to be a star, if you will, him and Wedge, um, you know, we get to see the forming, the reforming, if you will, of Rogue Squadron, uh, formerly Red Squadron from the movies, if you didn't know that little tidbit.
0: That's right, and the reforming thing was kind of interesting because it gave Stackpole a chance here. And I'll agree, I, I really like Stackpole's work in the Star Wars universe. I will say that I think he's, he, of the X-Wing authors, I've got some, some odd sense of being pulled in two directions. We'll get into it more when we come to the writing style and such later. But definitely good author. And he's, he was dabbling in X-Wing, sort of in two things at the same time. He was telling X-Wing stories in the comics, which we may look at sometime in the future. And he was dabbling in X-Wing with the novels, but they were set in different time frames. The comics were much closer to Return of the Jedi, actually much closer to the end of the Marvel series, whereas these are two and a half years after Return of the Jedi, or six and a half years after A New Hope. Funny story about that from the Atlas that I can tell you guys later on in the episode. Um, but... It let him play in the same sort of genre and in technically the same squadron and yet play with different characters without having to say, okay, all those earlier ones were killed. No, he just says, okay, there's these other ones. And now here's these new ones. He's reforming the squadron. That's it. You know, end of story. It's a nice, easy way to... Of essentially not having to retcon anything about the members of the squadron from one series to the next. And he gives us a lot of fresh characters. As I recall, this was the first time we ever saw a Star Wars book. And I wanna say this was in 96 or so, because uh, I remember it was a couple of years before I graduated from high school. So it's 96, and we finally get a Star Wars novel that does not focus on the big three. I mean, there's small appearances by Leia, for instance, as you go on through the series. Uh, and then Han, of course, once we get to the Wraith stuff, but for the most part, pretty much absent. It was a book series sold on the idea of X-Wing combat, military fiction. It was sold on, in some cases, the, the cover art, which did not feature any characters whatsoever, just the X-Wings versus TIE Fighters, the Star Destroyers, you know, the combat aspect of it. It, it was a real Some gamble. of my
1: favorite covers, in fact.
0: <laughs> they are they're great covers, um, but it was a gamble. I remember it being something at the time I was like, how well is this gonna work? We all think of Wedge now as one of the core Star Wars characters, but there was a time when he wasn't really thought of that way. These are the books that made him end up thought of that way. I remember back when I first picked up *Dark Force Rising*, which was my first EU novel back in '92, and I remember running into Wedge Antilles, and it sounded vaguely familiar. I kind of knew him from other stuff, uh, but not much other stuff because there just wasn't much out there, and I was not big into the role-playing game. I remembered Wedge from the movies but that was about it for it took a while for me to actually put together in my mind wait a second this is the one pilot other than Luke that was in all three movies and survived all three of the major battles and then it just clicked and I'm like oh well of course he should be a big character but he does he's not an obvious choice if you're talking about the early 1990s this was a gamble and Stackpole hit it out of the park but I could see them being a little wary of doing something like this or I guess you could Flip it around and say, I would see them being wary now to do something like this because back then it was about somewhat playing it safe to be able to get the EU going at all over the course of a few years. Whereas now it's more like, well, we don't know where it's going to go. We must get new audiences. We must sort of dumb down the cast of characters to a degree. So maybe we shouldn't gamble on these. I mean, it's like you were saying with the Jaina Solo books that are coming out that you got to worry that if it doesn't go well, What does that mean for future books based on EU characters only as opposed to film characters? Kind of the same thing here. He was a minor film character, but this could have been the death knell for experimenting beyond the big three. Fortunately, it wasn't. Home run. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm right there with you. It was a definite home run. It was an interesting gamble that they decided to play. I'm glad they played it. The X-Wing books are always going to hold a special spot for me. Uh, I love the way Stackpole's style, like you know, you you mentioned that it was more fighter combat oriented. And I like that. I liked being able to get into it. It wasn't too overpowering, you know, a lot of people were like, well, I don't really care for that kind of stuff. It it had so much going on that the space battles were just kind of like watching a film. You know, you'd get to the really cool space battle, and then you'd go back into other events of the story, and then you get to a really cool space battle, and there'd be like what three or so in the book, you know, occasionally a little more, but there were really big ones, you know, were about two or three. But you know, you'd mentioned how you know Luke and them aren't even hardly mentioned. I love that the first line in this was "You're good, Corrin, but you're no Luke Skywalker," and it, it kind of establishes Corrin right there as having a a similarity to Luke right out the bat. But the other thing about this, if I recall correctly, at this point, this was the first book we got with Corrin Horn. Aside from the Tales of the Empire and a couple of stories with him in the tales, which kind of led to how he got where he was. But I believe this one came out first. And Mm -hmm. that, for me, was one of the things I loved the most. Corrin's story and Gavin, uh, Darklet. I like Gavin so much my son is named Gavin. I mean, that's that's how much I really dug the character. And then even there were throwbacks to these stories in the New Jedi Order when Jaina Solo joins Rogue Squadron and Gavin Darklighter, now Rogue Leader, is telling Leia, you know, he's she's too young, we can't put her in here. And she's like, um, and how old were you when you sat behind the cockpit? And, you know, <laughs> I just love those little references to these these books. And there's just so much going on. I mean, when you think about the fact that Wedge's story, in a sense, kicks off Alston's story with the race in, a, in what's going on. Plus, you have like part of the story with, with General Zinn or Warlord Zinn. It finishes up in The uh, Courtship of Princess Leia. I mean, this book is tied heavily into what we consider the heart of the modern-day EU.
0: That's true. Although, I will say that the Zinn stuff, I'm not sure that I even paid that much attention to it the first time. The fact that there were any references to it was kind of a surprise. Um, I said I mentioned the Atlas a bit ago. Uh, I, I'm sure probably most of the listeners know by now from listening to our first episode, but I got a chance to help out on the essential Atlas back when Jason Fry and Dan Wallace were working on it. And the first map, they said, when they, when they came to me saying, hey, let's make some dated battle maps with in-universe dates. We'd like you to be the one to put these together because, you know, you've got the expertise in that with the timeline and everything. The first thing they asked was, let's do a Road to Coruscant one. So let's do one that covers basically X-Wing Rogue Squadron and X-Wing Wedges Gamble. Because by that point, they're on Coruscant. I wound up having to go through the other ones, but that was the, the starting point. And then later, we came back to this idea of, well, what about the hunt for Zinge? And because we were wanting to do one for the Thrawn campaign, wanted to do ones for the New Jedi Order, to at least give time spans to those and all that kind of stuff. And the Hunt for Zinge was one that stood out as something they thought would be very interesting because it's also another very military-based storyline because it's in the Wraith books. And so to do that, I was basically given a list. Here's all the battles we want to try to include for this Hunt for Zinge map. And it I had not realized, it surprised me to find that some of those were actually being referenced within Stackpole's part of the X-Wing books. He was laying some of that foundation. Now, whether he was meaning to lay the foundation for Alston, or if he was just laying the foundation knowing that that was something that was coming later in the the EU because Courtship of Princess Leia was already out, uh, or what, it was interesting to go back and see those, sort of seeing these with new eyes. I hadn't read these in years, and when I was working on the Atlas, I had to read them with an eye towards things like, this is two days later. This is a week later. This is a month later. Wait, this says something happened yesterday, but it's definitely happening on that yesterday after something else. So there must be certain days in between. When I was having to be really meticulous in reading it. I found that I was getting a lot more out of it, getting a lot more of the nuances than I think I did back when I read these when I was probably, what, sophomore in the high school, right around the time that I'm learning to drive and, you know, they're out there, you know, flying the X-wings. But your, your comment about Zinge though, makes me kind of step back kind of going back to what I'd said about author styles, how I was going to get into author styles. I guess I'll just hit it now. Yeah, uh, do it. it, Get it out there. Um, I'm torn when it comes to the two major X, well, the the two X-Wing authors here, because I find that Michael Stackpole's characters are the ones that tend to stick with me the most much of the time, Uh, barring Face and Ton Fannin from The race.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good
0: deal there. Most of the characters... From Rogue Squadron are the ones I remember well. The characters from Wraith Squadron, a lot of times I don't remember all that well, or I remember them for the general character description, like Piggy. He's you know a Gamorrean that's smart and talks. Yeah, but, Ron, it, but looks like a horse. A of, yeah, but not a lot of details to them. Uh, so the characters I find much more engaging in these than I do in Austin's. On the other hand, though, the books as a whole, while they play out. Uh, I mean, the style is different. They they play with more of that military flair. They're more serious than Alston's. Alston plays up the humor quite a bit. Um, And I got to say that I'm kind of one of those guys that when you give me a space battle that's in a a, uh, comic, show me the cool stuff. If you're giving me one in the books, give me some cool things, but don't let it drag on and on and on and on. Uh, I like Alston's approach to the space battles in that he doesn't give as much detail. And I know that's probably anathema to a lot of people out there who are saying, how dare you if they're if big-time X-Wing fans. But to oh, I get think, where you're coming from. I like, the, the X-Wing novels by Stackpole, to me, remind me of, oddly enough, the role-playing game. Ever since we recorded that yeah. episode about Fantasy Flight Games, I was interested in this idea of, the, of this new Edge of the Empire role playing game, so I listened to an episode that was recently released by Order Sixty Six. It's a Star Wars podcast uh, from the D Twenty podcast series, essentially um, all about Star Wars gaming. It was ostensibly based on the Saga edition of Wizard of the Coast, but they did a live play of a session of Edge of the Empire to show new list or to show fans what it's like. Uh, and to introduce people to that who don't have the beta or haven't had a chance to try it out themselves. And it struck me that in the role-playing games, because again, I haven't played these very much, in the role-playing games, every single part of a battle takes forever. Because you're explaining every little bit. If you got four or five people one quick series of actions you know one shoots the other one ducks it might be a split second in real time or maybe a couple seconds in real time but in the game that can be half an hour or more of you sitting there talking through things rolling dice et cetera et cetera you don't need that much nuance on film if they did that as meticulously on film as they do in role-playing games it wouldn't work I think that's the same kind of thing I see here as we get more and more detail you hit a point where it's almost too much I think Stackpole a lot of times was straying towards that area, at least for my taste when it comes to that. I'm much more about the characterization, the dialogue, the banter back and forth, and the big picture stuff. I don't need the nuances of the flight and the instrumentation within the X-Wing to be oh. what gives you the sense of realism, at least not to me.
1: I, no, I mean I hear where you're coming from. I, I know that that also is a, a, a big complaint for a lot of people who haven't read the X-Wing books that they think that that's – you know, all the way through it. But like you point out, Alston's books are not as thick with that. I, I admit, though, I like that Stackpole gave us that stuff. I mean, for me, I, I learned Port and Starboard, you know, based off of him. I mean, I finally figured it out. Oh, okay, Port and Left, four-letter words. Okay, boom. Really easy to remember from there on out. But the fact that we had uh, foot pedals inside the cockpit, things like that, there were a lot of little nuances that, yeah, you didn't need to have, but they were eye-openers for me. I, I never even thought about foot pedals being inside an X-Wing. And I recall there were scenes where, you know, he would get inside Corrin's head and, you know, you'd have him like work on the ship. And you, I don't know. I really, I really dug those scenes. And I could see though that how with his being the first four books, how people would really kind of think, okay, well that whole series is like that. And, and kind of not want to get into that. But at the same time, like you like you mentioned, Alston comes around on that and, and gives you more character-driven stuff. A- another thing I love though is uh Corrin's story, you know, I I mentioned that right out the the gate, but they play with his force use, because at this point, he doesn't know much about his past, about his father, and and his whole Jedi heritage, and the way it gets played up is just great, I mean, you know he gets these senses of unease sometimes they'll center on himself, sometimes they'll center on other things, and he's always like talking to his dad, his dad's passed away at this point he's got that little Jed cred that he got from, you know, that, I I don't even think at the time he has it, I don't think he knows exactly where he got it aside from his dad, You know, I don't think he knows that it's his grandfather that was actually the one on the Jedi credit. And other things like, okay, you've got Whistler, you know, the R2-D2 unit. You know, the fact that, and this is a pet peeve of mine because the R2-D2, we now know, okay, we can have multiple R2-D2s. They don't have to have the same serial number, you know, and yet we have in the Clone Wars the R8 droid. Okay, I will stay off of that. But you mentioned the different characters and, there are characters in both series that do jump out. You know, you, you mentioned Tawn and Face. I think of Runt, um, Piggy. But you're right. When it comes to the race, there's definitely a lot more than I think. I mean, you got Coral. you got Taisho. Uh, Tycho, if, uh, depends on how you say it. I go back and forth. I
0: always say Tycho. Like, like yeah. the old blocks.
1: Yeah. I mean, Briar Jace. I, I mean, I remember that character like, oh, gosh. I, I just wanted to watch him just die horribly. And they did great things with that character. I really enjoyed it. And for the most part, most of the characters, they did a lot of good things. And, and how you mentioned the fact that the comics were going on at the same time. There was a lot of story, backstory, that if you read the comics, you were picking up on little hints here and there that weren't said, but they were implied enough that you're like, oh, okay, that's that's that character from the comic. Okay.
0: I mean, speaking of characters, I will say two things that stand out on this, and I keep saying I will say, so I guess I should just say, right? Uh, that's one of my little verbal tics. One thing that stands out to me with these characters, uh, first of all, is the fact that they're allowed to fit into molds that we're not used to seeing in Star Wars, at least not at that time. I love, I mean, I would say my favorite, I said it again, my favorite character of all of the Wraiths, and it's not for anything that he did in the cockpit, is Noir Ven, Because I love the idea that we have a Wraith, or I to say Wraith, a Rogue, we have a, a Rogue Squadron pilot who is also a lawyer, so when Tycho is in trouble, it becomes sort of Star Wars Law and Order. Aside from the little bit of courtroom drama that we got to see in Fate of the Jedi, it seems like that is one area of modern pop culture fiction, tons and tons of courtroom shows and police investigation shows that we generally don't get to see. In Star Wars, so I mean, yeah, we get some investigation type things in, for instance, uh, the Coruscant Knights books to a degree, so the private detective Gumshoe type of thing. But from the standpoint of an actual courtroom, where you you're worried about the fate of a particular character because it's one of your own, it's one of your primary characters you've come to know and love, who's on trial for something, and in this case, something you know they didn't do because Corrin is alive. That really it, it engaged me. Because it was a way of saying, look, not only are we going to take this series out of the box, but you think this is all about pilots, and that's just who they are. That it's all about pilots, and here's their background, and the background informs their character, but the background is just that. It's the past. It's behind them. And now to say, we're going to take one of these characters out, and, you know, as Corrin is developing his Jedi skills, which sort of takes him out of the box, but it was something that was sort of hinted at as it went along, here, all of a sudden, we have Noara who we've known a little bit about the lawyer background from, but never would have expected him to actually be able to use it in the series, boom, he's in the courtroom. Uh, that threw me for a loop, and unfortunately, when I went back and read it, I mean, I guess I had sort of idealized this over the years, that the Kratos trap and the whole courtroom stuff, I guess I, I imagined it, that it was a lot longer and more in-depth than it actually was. So when I read it again for the Atlas, I was like, oh, that really isn't quite as much there. But that made a major impression <laughs> on me, in yeah. my young mind, and what Star Wars characters could be, that they didn't all have to fit a mold.
1: I, I liked his character a lot, and you know, we also had the whole aspect of Coran being stuck on the Lusquania, which was another, uh, the the sister ship. Wait, of... wait, Lusquania? Yeah, I, I say things weird.
0: Okay, see, so well, I say go. Lusankia, but I don't know if even I'm right. I say that because it's, I think it's close to like the is there like a coffee called Sanka or something? <laughs> it's
1: the closest yeah, so, I've ever been able to pronounce it. So we, we obviously can't figure out what it is. So if when you guys want to throw he's some in feedback. the loo.
0: In the Yeah. Loo. When he was there and, and when he
1: escapes and you find out he's actually on Coruscant. I'm just like, oh my gosh. And then you get the Emperor's private little museum. And then you find out that that was inside the Jedi Temple. And then Koran does his first Force illusion. When he's sitting in that, that cabinet. He's running. He's hiding the stormtroopers are opening all the drawers and he's like laying across the thing going don't see me don't see me don't see me I'm not here I'm not here I'm not here and the guy opens it up doesn't see him and keeps going I was just like oh what are they going to do with this guy there were and that was I. one of the things I love the most about these books was the characters were just so profound they were so engaging and, and you wanted to know more the way that they were presented were in ways that kept you going okay I want to know more not just about what's going to happen next but I want to know how they got where they are. And then you had these little tales stories and stuff like that, where you learn these little bit of backgrounds here and there, stuff like that. And I love that about the greater EU and that they'll always go back and find a way to, to re-engage you with characters that
0: you love. You know, I got to say they really did a good job. As you said about making these characters uh, interesting, engaging. They also gave them character development, which you don't see a lot with the big three, you know, except for big jumps between series, the big three characters tend to always kind of be the same personalities they have. I mean, you know, it took the death of Chewbacca to finally really start to reshape Han. He sort of changed a little with the kids being born, but still there were some elements of him that just never really felt like they grew along with the rest of them. These characters, in the span of a very short number of books, managed to be introduced... To get some depth to them at first, to go through some personal changes and come out the other end as a better character in many respects. And then, of course, in some of their cases, to then die, which is the other strength of the series. They're allowed to take chances with the characters, just like with the books, because it's uncharted ground. Okay, you can't kill Wedge, Hobby, well, you can't kill Hobby again, now that he's sort of been made undead, because they started to use him again after he was supposed to have died in Empire in the West End Games RPG, technically showed his death, but then they had to find a way around it. Um, but aside from those, pretty much all the major characters, at least in Stackpole's books, were characters that we knew nothing about beyond those books. So they could die at any point in time. They could get maimed at any point in time. I mean, they could go through some pretty rough stuff, uh, including, we'd have to you know make sure to mention here, including Ysan Iceheart or Iceheart, the primary villain of the books by Stackpole. She was also an X-Factor. She'd appeared some in the X-Wing comics, so we knew that nothing would happen to her in the comics, but by then, the books were already out. so Or at least some of the books were already out, so we knew, of course, yeah, she's not going to have something happen to her in the comics, but what's going to happen to her in the long run in the novels was a big question mark. And turns out, they wind up being able to pull sort of a twist on it, very much like the Resurrected Emperor type thing with Dark Empire, and bring in... His oft-forgotten fifth X-Wing book, which was Ice Hard's Revenge, taking place right after the Thrawn trilogy, kind of between the Thrawn trilogy and uh, the events of the Dark Empire cycle. So it, it, there's chances being taken all over the place, and, and it's not just, let's do something risque. It's not, let's go dark, which is sort of the thing that Stover is known for. Doing it well, but that's kind of what those books did. Of, let's go dark, or Here, here's the gimmick of, let's have it be zombies. Here it's, you know what, if there is a gimmick, the gimmick is solid developing characterization. And frankly in a book, that's not a gimmick, that's what a book's supposed to have.
1: Yeah, you know, there's, I mean, okay... The back to War. We get to see Booster Tarek get the errant venture and, and the way that the uh, New Republic did not want him to have it. In fact, so much so that they made him give up a lot of the turbo lasers and stuff. And I liked how all of those little nuances played into each other. The New Republic was able to then take those turbo lasers, use them to outfit half their fleet that was desperate need of them for repairs because of the ongoing civil war. Uh, little things like that were just really fun. Uh, the whole. Teric family. I mean, Merrick's booster, the, the dynamic there between Corrin and, and all that was fun. Uh, you know, you've got the the getting into Coruscant, the liberation of Coruscant, if you will, uh, of the rogues and how they got in there and how they pulled that off. You know, and, and how that, in a sense, is what, for Wedge, kicks off the Wraith Squadron, you know, because these were ace pilots who all happened to be good at other secondary skills, and so with Wraith Squadron, it was more, let's have great skills that happen to be good pilots. And I like the way that, you know, when you when you look at this as a whole, how the two play very well off of each other. How you had one ace squadron that led to another ace squadron that was just as much fun. I mean I'm I'm currently reading Mercy Kill right now, and I am just I'm 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 kind of sad in the aspect that I wish that we had the same thing going on with the Rogue Squadron book. It would be nice to see Stackpole come back and do the same thing like what we're seeing with Mercy Kill. Um, I, I Actually, I, I, to, to keep it as spoiler free as I can get, Mercy Kill almost feels like a next generation story and I would love to see something like that with Rogue Squadron. I'd love to see Gavin Darklighter or maybe even place it back in the New Jedi Order when all the, the really craziness was going on. We had the two Rogue Squadrons, the dummy one that Koran was leading and then the one that Gavin had. I, I don't know. There's, there's just so much room out there that they could do something like that and... With the enjoyment that I'm getting from Mercy Kill alone as a next generation story is how I'm viewing it, I think they could do the same thing when it comes to the squadron of Rogue Squadron just as well.
0: We know we're going to get at least a little bit of new uh, Starfighter action in comic book form because that new Star Wars ongoing series apparently has Leia as potentially an ace pilot. What? Yeah, that's what I said too.
1: Ooh, um, dude, I just about spit my soda all over the computer. Are you kidding me? An ace pilot Leia?
0: That's, that's what's been described. There's, there's several panels that certainly look like it's Leia that's supposed to be the, uh, huh. the, the pilot in certain <laughs> scenes. I'm hoping that it's maybe somebody else or it's something that's is being taken out of context, as as Stradley well, said. Nobody knows for sure yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not against it. I mean, it makes sense her dad is one of the best pilots that ever lived. Her brother is one as well. But if they do, I'd like to see come series end or something where she says one of those, oh, I don't really care for piloting, kind of pull an Obi-Wan. You know, he was a competent pilot. He just hated to do it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Flying is for droids, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. You said how this is sort of laying the foundation. You're sort of referencing back a few times things like the Errant Venture and whatnot. There's a lot of iconic stuff that comes out of this, this series that sets the stage for other things coming later. Uh, I don't know if you know this. This book series is why Return of the Jedi has the date that it does. This book series is why in the in-universe really? dating, Return of the Jedi basically is set within the anniversary of A New Hope. Because if you remember... Way back when, they didn't market these books as saying, okay, this book is six and a half years after uh, the Battle of Yavin. It says, well, I mean, good example here. If you actually look in the back of any of the the original Rogue Squadron books, it says, for instance, Star Wars X-Wing is setting three years after Return of the Jedi. Courtship of Princess Leia, four years after Return of the Jedi. For a long time, it was uh, was BSW-4, or B-A-N-H, As in before A New Hope, and then A R O T J, after Return of the Jedi. And then anything in the middle was just kind of in this weird limbo of how they'd refer to it. So for a long time, these were being marketed as two and a half years after Jedi. But then later they started referring to it as six and a half years after A New Hope, or six and a half, or 6.5 A B Y. Thing with it is that the talk was always that there's this four year gap between A New Hope and Jedi, but that there's a one year gap between Empire and Return of the Jedi, only that can't work when you actually start breaking it down into months, because A New Hope is in month three, and Empire Strikes Back is in month six. So for something to be a decimal of half a year, which gets you down into months, you're really kind of in a tough spot, because being one year after Empire and four years after A New Hope cannot be the same month. It's, act- it's factually, numerically impossible. So we had to come down to okay, well, how are we going to decide this? And when me and uh, Leland Chi and Jason Fry were kind of bouncing ideas back and forth around the time of working on the Atlas, we said, okay, the easiest way to make this work and have this be something that actually, uh, you know, it fits the original dating that it was advertised for, that it was written to coincide with, and fits the way that we look at it now in terms of Aby and all that kind of stuff, would be to have to say, okay, it's basically the anniversary, Return of the Jedi, is basically the anniversary of A New Hope, uh, which I, I kind of like because the idea of, you know, Palpatine being sort of a terrorist-minded freak. Uh, terrorists love using anniversaries and numerical stuff within their attacks as, as a form of sort of hidden symbolism, uh, or oh, oh, barely hidden symbolism, I guess is another way to put it. Um, so I kind of like the idea that he would set his trap for the rebels almost exactly, you know, to the day, the four years later. But it was this book series, and the fact that it was the only one of its time of its era that was being advertised as at least initially as a fraction of a year plus a number of years after Return of the Jedi uh, that because of the way that wound up turning out in the conversion it forced us to say it's not a year between Empire and Jedi it's a little less than a year it's more like nine months or so on a 12-month calendar because it's gotta be month three it's gotta be four years after uh, the uh, it, G- Jedi has to be four years after A New Hope in order for this to work, and by setting the date for these books in universe, it allowed us to set other dates. Yeah, you know, th- this uh, dating system set the framework for all those dated maps in the in the atlas because it all spun off like every date that was based on this was used to then help get the dates for the other X-Wing books going up through Zinge for Hunt for Zinge*. That helped give the dates for things like the Thrawn stuff, which is also helped by the fact that there's that scene where supposedly, you know, we think it's possible that the twins were conceived in Tatooine Ghost, which I kind of got us to sort of unofficially confirm so we could use that date for it. Um, These books have a long-reaching impact and have had a long-reaching impact at least from a uh, a continuity detail standpoint long after the fact even going as far as helping to affect the in universe date for return of the jedi and i think that's something that um not i mean not a lot of series can say that they have an impact on sort of reshaping the way we think about time in and of itself but these were books that were very much focused on time months later weeks later the next day uh, they've made it into something where you could realistically feel like a military campaign, not something that just felt like it was all zipping through or like it was a movie where the passage of time could be sped up or slowed down with no real consequence. These actually had timeframes that were necessary. You needed that sort of thing for some of the greatness you get in the last two books. You know, Once you get to that seven years after A New Hope mark or so, which I think Dan Wallace was the first one to figure out that that's actually when the cut is between the, the second and third book, not the end of the first four books, once you get to that point, and you're entering the the Kratos trap, there has to be time for that disease to get working, that brilliant plan that Isard left behind. Um, There has to be time for the Bacta war to develop as Isard's getting control of the Bacta supplies and such. Um, Stackpole dealt with time in a way that I think is one of the better ways we've seen it used in a Star Wars book. It was used realistically, and yet at the same time, it wasn't something that was so overbearing that you felt like you were trapped in tons of chronological references as you read. He didn't feel like the Lucinopedia in terms of references <laughs> to time. The The Stackpolepedia is not a, a calendar, but he uses it really well. Uh, I, I was very impressed at how well it all fit together, and I never would have thought about it if they hadn't said, hey, let's make this map.
1: Well, okay, you know, barring Mercy Kill at the moment, when I look at these, you've got your four-book series, Alston's last one, Solo Command, you've got the race, you've got the rogues, are all in one book. He gets to play with both squadrons. But by the time you get to ninth, or the eighth book, Izzard's Revenge, you learn that even Stackpole gets to play with both sets, that he ends up bringing in uh, the race at some point in that book, too. I I, I want to say it was uh, Min. Min's character was a character that, that you know, he starts in the race books, but we see him again here at the end of this, and I I like the way that that character too progressed. There were so many really cool characters that progressed well, and, and like I said, I'm reading Mercy Kill now, and there's characters like Shala and, and other references, and I'm just like, okay, I recognize these names, but I'm like drawing a blank as to what the significance of them were, you know, like the, like the full on details. Like I still remember them, but I'm like, okay, was it this character or that one that did that event? Uh, you know. Kind of thing, but there are others that just they really stick out for you, and and I love that about these type of writers. Uh, like I said, Stackpole, he's one of my favorite authors. I Jedi is is tied with Star by Star for my favorite Star Wars book of all time, still to this day. And it was it was the character and his writing style for me that did it. Um, I really miss the fact that he has left the Star Wars universe at the moment. You know, I would love to see him return as well as we're seeing so many others that you know kind of laid the foreground of the EU. I'd love to see him come back and and give it a play. You know, I mean, I think he left right when the New Jedi Order was full swing. Dark Tide 2, Ruin was the last one, uh, if I recall correctly, that he wrote in the Star Wars EU. So I would love to see him, too, make a return. Just off of what I'm seeing with Mercy Kill alone, and I remember back what I I loved about these series. I would love to see a similar book come along like what we're seeing with Mercy Kill. It's just such a great story. I don't want to see it end. I
0: find myself kind of thinking about this and... You know, it, again, the long-reaching effects of it, and just let's take a t- take a, a completely non-Star Wars universe perspective, completely a real-world okay. perspective here. It okay, not
1: not charmed though, right? Like not something that's similar, but kind of out there, far-fetched, just full-on real.
0: Full-on real. Okay, um, real-world stuff. Looking at these books, uh, the the Cretos trap was an unusual book. And the way it played in the back door an unusual book. The idea of the Empire using a biological weapon. We've seen stuff like that popping up in the role-playing games and such. But this was before the Emperor's Plague in the Young Jedi Knight stuff. I mean, this is around the time where having the weapon that you're dealing with be a disease. Not the super weapon of the week as a starship or some planet-destroying, sun-destroying type of weapon. But having it be a... a what we would now call a weapon of mass destruction was unusual and kind of frightening, frankly, at the time thinking about that. And it's interesting that the Kratos trap was written. Let me double check. The Kratos trap was written back in uh, yeah, October of 1996 uh, is the copy that I've got here of the Kratos trap. Um, so we're talking like mid nineties here. This is the heyday. Whoa,
1: wait, 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 Three rogue squadron books in one year. That's
0: pretty pimp. Yeah. Uh, these are, they're released in the heyday of the Clinton era, okay? We are at the end, uh, we have, we have finished our operations in the Middle East with Operation Desert Storm about half a decade, a little less than half a decade earlier, okay? Uh, at this point, the idea of chemical biological weapons, uh, it's on our radar, but not much as a country, quite frankly. Uh, it's something that you hear about, it's something that you think about, oh, well, that's something that happens with the chemicals that Saddam Hussein used. And you hear bits and pieces about different... I want to say that the biggest disease people were freaking out about at the time was Ebola uh, and the idea of a hot zone happening in, uh, say, Africa that was oh, somehow spread through an airplane. But yeah. it was always something that was either the thought of a huge outbreak out of control that nobody necessarily started. It just kind of happened uh, like the movie outbreak uh, or it was something much more of a, a restrained, smaller, uh, oh, that chemical, biological stuff that happens somewhere else to other people. Americans hadn't been woken up to the idea of terrorism yet. I mean, we didn't even wake up as we're heading into 9/11 after the USS Cole and the, and the World Trade Center bombing, the first one, which is actually right around the time that this stuff's being written. Uh, America had not woken up to the idea of the extreme threat, or at least the the general populace hadn't woken up to the idea of the extreme threat that biological warfare could pose. And here's a Star Wars book that, in a sense, is presaging the fears that would come. Almost a decade later, um, very very forward-looking. It reminds me in a lot of ways of, and there's a lot of examples I could use. The one that's springing to mind, I'm sure, is going to annoy some people. It reminds me of ein Rand. Okay, she writes books like Atlas Shrugged, The Fountainhead, et cetera, et cetera, talking about you know where society could go with overregulation and all this kind of stuff, taxing success, blah blah blah. You know, we're not going to get into the political argument about it, but. It's it's a lot of it's becoming popular again because a lot of the stuff in those books feels very applicable to our time now. And these books were written a huge amount of time ago, long, long time ago. I forget the exact year, but we're talking a long time ago for Ayn Rand. Um, And yet she sort of presaged what would be to come uh, or at least some of the, the debates going on in years to come. And from a Star Wars perspective, you don't usually see that. Usually Star Wars is reactive. It's reacting to what's happening in the world outside. You know, things get darker in the Star Wars books as we go into the Clone Wars and we start thinking about terrorism more in terms of separatist terrorists and stuff after 9/11. So of course it's it's jumping off from real world events at least to a degree. Lucas himself referred to the fact that it, to a degree the prequels see themselves shaped a little bit in the era in which he was writing them. Well, here Star Wars for one of the few times it ever seems to do so Pre-sage is not a technology or something small like that, where it's it's a technical issue, like oh, it's futuristic, so here it is in the future, but a major worry that we have now, a major form of warfare that for the most part, Americans, while we knew about it, kind of in our daily lives, felt much more oblivious to than we do now. We are much more tuned in. I think a modern reader reading the Cretos trap, it's going to feel both more familiar and perhaps more menacing. Than it did to someone back then because now we we're we've got WMDs on our radar more than any other time. Better watch out,
1: Palpatine's messing with WMDs.
0: Better send
1: in the rogues and the race. Yeah, <laughs> I I just you know final thoughts for me on this. Um, you know you can't judge a book by its cover, but if you're going to, you're pretty much going to win if you look at any of the X-wing books and judge them by their covers. Their covers, you know, you said at the beginning of the episode. Phenomenal uh, they're beautiful. granted, they don't always necessarily deal with events that may have happened in the book, but they look good. Um, you know they're the ones that can make a really nice poster on your wall style good. Um, characters involved, like I said, they're great, they're deep, they're moving, they're growing, they evolve you know you can take the ride with them. you get a lot of fun little stories you know you learn about Corin Horn and his time with a big giant ferret and why that's funny? And things like this. I mean it's definitely worth your time. If you're new to the EU and you haven't had a chance to take a look at these books, take the time, invest the time. I can almost 100 percent say you're going to enjoy it. You know, Like everything, there's going to be things that will probably annoy you or you don't understand or they just irk you. But there will be a lot more good than there will be negative. And I think give it a shot. You owe it to yourself.
0: Yeah, I think I'd say the same thing. These books were phenomenal at the time. Going back and checking them out again years later, still just as solid as they ever were. Just as engaging as they ever were. The fact that we've seen these characters continue on with their lives does nothing to dilute how good these individual books were and how good they were as a series. Yeah, yeah, I'm one of those who kind of shakes my head at the whole, let's bring Iceheart back for Iceheart's revenge. But that was even still a solid book, even if it wasn't necessarily something we needed to see happen. Still a very solid book. Uh, Whether we're talking Stackpole or Alston this is a very very good series and I would agree with Mark you definitely owe it to yourself to check these out if you've never read them before. In the broad scheme of things with all the Star Wars novels out there it's rare to be able to point to a Star Wars novel series particularly a Star Wars novel series that goes beyond a third book because a lot of times we see trilogies and be able to say this is a book that is or this is a series that is so solid that I can't point to a bad book in them you know I can't yeah. say oh, absolutely I can't say you will like this series but the only but to this is you're not gonna see the big three all the time beyond that there is no but to this this is one of the if not the most solid Star Wars book series ever to be published if you've never read it you need to if you have never read anything else in the EU great you don't need any background but the films Read these books. They are exceptional. Not so much with the comics, but the books, exceptional.
1: You know, and, and that brings me to another thing about it. I, you can learn to hate Boris Fale. I mean, I, I remember when the political side of this, I, I believe it was at the end of Rogue Squad in the first book, where he's such a thorn in their side. They're like, okay, that's it. We're resigning. We're, we're out. We're, bye. We're all out of here. Forget this guy, this botan. Who does he think he is? We'll do it on our own. And they take off and they do their own thing. And I, I loved it. It was, it, you know, I don't know I've i been watching a lot of different TV shows and have that same feel. And the way that the characters and all that played out and the way that the, they went on to Coruscant and did it all anyway and they managed to rub it all in his face. There were so many stories. I, I just feel like we're missing so much. You know, there's so much to cover in an hour that I, I know we're not doing this series enough justice. Uh, you know, I, I will say that the books, both series, well, the X-Wing series is one series, but you've got the Rogue and you've got the Wraith sides of it. And both sides of it feel like an RC novel. They feel like a Republic Commando novel. Kind of how the whole... You know, I want to say or not Order 66, but triple uh, zero. It, it had a, a very triple zero type feel to the way the events were going on. You know, you were you're part of the mission. You know, you're following along, and you get to see the insights of the characters and the way that they're dealing with all the situations and their insecurities and uh, and you know, in Karan's case, the overconfidence and stuff like that. I just they they made the characters human, and for that, I will always have a dear spot for this. You know, I I can say. Great things about this book series all day long, but I still feel like I'm not going to be able to say enough. It's just
0: one of those that's near and dear to me. Yeah, I remember my, one of my fond Star Wars memories from high school is sitting in my foreign language class. Okay, I'm a nerd. Uh, I took Latin as my foreign language. Okay, fortunately I took Russian, which was a lot cooler when I was in college. Uh, but I was taking Latin. And when we would get done with our work. We'd sit around and kind of do whatever we wanted to do as long as we were done with our stuff. And what I would often do is pull out a book. And at this point, it was kind of like what was known. You know, if Nathan's pulling out a book, yeah, he just finished way faster than anybody else just did. And in high school, at least, the teachers understood that and appreciated it, as opposed to middle school where I'd always get in trouble for pulling out a book because I was done, because nobody ever believed I could possibly have already been done. So I'm pulling out the books, and I remember sitting in class and reading of the death of one of the major characters and I don't want to necessarily give away the death even though we know we say there's a spoiler warning because frankly I hope this gets more people who haven't read them to read them and I don't want to give the shock away but there's a moment where a character dies that when you are absolutely not expecting it mainly because it's not in a cockpit and the shock of it had me I mean, I was I was fighting not to say real, real something quick. out loud in the classroom because I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to wind up getting in trouble for reacting. But I was I was you know pent up. Like, are you kidding me?
1: Is is this a rogue or a wraith story? This Just is a rogue. Give me that. This
0: is rogue. This is a rogue.
1: Oh, okay. No, not the one I was thinking of. As you were.
0: Yeah. So I mean, this is while I was I believe it was a rogue. Uh, this is while I was. You know, I was probably sophomore, junior, in high school, I guess it was. I forget exactly which book it was in, actually, off the top of my head. Um, but it, I was reading them as they came out. So we're talking 96, 97 at that point. I'm in high school. I'm you know, Being a nerd was not cool yet. Sci-fi was not cool yet, or whatever it is that's socially acceptable now. Um, it would not have been the cool thing to react emotionally to a Star Wars book in the middle of class. Uh-uh, look at done. Butler over there, man. He's like totally crybaby. Ooh, look, Luke and Leia can't get married because
1: they're brother and sister. And now he's crying. Yeah, exactly. Bullies, go exactly. stick it.
0: <laughs> and, and, but so, I mean, I remember, I just remember the emotional impact of that. I mean, And that's the thing about the Star Wars books of yesteryear. I remember more of those kinds of moments with the Bantam era than with any of the Del Rey era. Not that the Del Rey books are bad, but it doesn't feel like they were that same part of my life like these books were. I mean, I can remember sitting in, I guess it was what, my biology class. We're all getting ready for a big trip to this, uh, like this camp thing called Land Between the Lakes on this field trip that I'm sure they probably aren't even allowed to take now because of all the lawsuits you can get from parents if somebody gets poison ivy or something. Um, but sitting in class, and as we were finalizing the details, I'm sitting there sneaking reads of Jedi Search. You know, these are books that maybe we were too glowing about them, but if so, it's because they are such a part of the foundations of not just the EU, but our own EU reading. I mean, that's that's what these have been. But I don't think that, it, don't take the fact that we are so glowing about it and that that is probably part of it as a reason to think that what we're saying isn't necessarily true. I mean, this is one of the better series out there for Star Wars. Don't. Pass it up if you haven't had the opportunity to read it yet. No, you don't need the background in the comics. No, you don't need the background in the video games, any of the video games, whether the, the later ones, the, like the Rogue Squadron series, or the X-Wing TIE Fighter, X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter, X-Wing Alliance types of games. Just check them out. If you haven't, yo it to yourself to check them out. At least read the first book. After that, if you think we're wrong, heck, Email us and tell us why. Heck, we'll put it on a feedback episode. But I don't think Absolutely. we're going to find anybody who's going to feel that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where when you look back at it, you just – I don't know. It, it, it reminds me of, like, the EU and the movies. It, it Everybody has different perceptions of it based off of where they got into it. And it's one of those things where, you know – When I think of the Bantam era, it seemed like almost all of them were kind of like the first four or five chapters were kind of catching you up to speed with what's been going on without doing that 100%. And that was something that Delray kind of got away from. It was kind of like with Delray, it was just assumed you'd already read this stuff, or if not, you were going to. Um, Maybe that plays into it a little more. I mean, I know I, I go back, I read a lot of these, and I'm like, wow, I really like this book, like, like I almost called this a nine out of 10 once I can give it like a strong six now, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But I, I do think that that plays a little bit into it, that the Bantam era, you know, there wasn't as much stuff out there. And so it was kind of like, you really did have to catch the reader up really fast. So I remember a lot of those books that I remember starting to read. It was like the first five or so chapters felt like a little, okay. Yeah. I remember this. I just read that just like five minutes ago. I'm okay. Uh, huh. uh, huh. but I had to remind myself not everybody has just set one book down and grabbed another one, you know. And it's one of those things. We just got to keep those things in our mind, you know, when we go into these ventures in the EU. Yeah, quite so.
0: I Adventures think, uh, in EU land. <laughs> I think uh, if I can end us with a quote then before we head out of here and prepare for the next episode, we'll be bringing you guys all out there about the Aaron Alston X-Wing books. May I? Oh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Good, sir. Give us the go. From the end of Stackpole's original run on the X-Wing novels, that is prior to coming back for Isard's Revenge, I won't go through the entire speech because it's probably a good half a page or more at this point, at least in the original printing of it. But uh, as Wedge said while picking up a tumbler of Corellian whiskey from a serving droid, he said, I would ask all of you to lift your glasses and join me in a toast. To Rogue Squadron, past, present, and future. Those who oppose freedom and liberty, oppose us. Let that fact give them pause to think and encouragement to travel the path of peace. Great stuff.
1: That's right, Wedge Antilles. We here at Star Wars Beyond the Films salute you. And remember, you can listen to our show. It's airing on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as streaming on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Our episodes are also available right on our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Not only can you post comments while listening to the show, you just might actually be heard. Remember the feedback. The feedback will set you free. Let us know if you disagree or even agree. We don't care. We'll feedback it out. We don't care. We just love to hear from you guys. This is fun for us. We get a thrill out of it. So send us the email. If you have something to say, fire off. Email us at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. So once again, this has been Whistler and Mark. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening. And may the force
0: be with you. And don't quote us the odds (laughs) that your favorite characters will survive the X-Wing books or be horribly disfigured and maimed (laughs) or be horribly disfigured looking to start with. I'm looking at you, Piggy. And Runt. (laughs) I was gonna say that too. That's awesome. (laughs) And Runt.